Genesis, the third chapter, and the second and third verse. Genesis chapter number three, verse number two and three. And we have it up here on the screen before you. Amen. And the woman, that is Eve, said unto the serpent, or Satan, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden. God hath said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it. Everybody say, neither shall ye touch it lest you die. And then Ecclesiastes chapter 10 and verse number 8. And it says in Ecclesiastes chapter 10 and verse number 8, He that diggeth a pit shall fall into it, and whoso breaketh a hedge, which in Hebrew is a wall, a fence, not necessarily just a hedge like we think of a hedge, but a, a barrier. He said, a serpent shall bite him. A serpent shall bite him. Praise God. I do want to speak to you today for a little while on this subject. Don't even touch it. Don't even touch it. Turn to your neighbor and say, don't you dare touch it. Praise God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your spirit and your presence. We ask you, Lord, now to... Be with us as we enter into the word, as we go into this most important part of the service, that we would be brought closer to you, that our lives would be changed, change our minds, our hearts, our spirits today through the power of the Holy Ghost. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody say amen. Shake hands with somebody else before you're seated. God bless you. Thank you for standing. I'm going to uh, turn your attention. If you have your Bibles, it may. I'm going to have all the verses up here, but it may be easier for some of you to follow along uh, in your Bible. I'm going to be reading a good bit from Genesis two and three, and um, skipping around just a little bit. But uh, so, if you want to go ahead and turn there, you can. I'm I'm going to confess to you right up front that I'm going to be doing some preaching today, some teaching, preaching, and so I hope that what the Lord has given me this week will help somebody be a benefit to them. I want to go back and look at the timeline in Genesis because I think sometimes we, when we read Genesis, we get Genesis out of, out of whack. Uh, we don't understand the order that things happen, that things take place, and so I want to turn your attention First of all, to Genesis chapter 2 and verse number 15. And I'm going to, again, I'm going to be giving you a little bit of a timeline here to show you exactly what is going on. But in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15, here's what it says. It says, And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. So what we see at this point in Genesis chapter 2 is that 
God has created man, and he put man in Eden, and he said that in another place, he said that he created all manner of, of, of uh, fruits and, and animals for, for his, his food, and everything was great. And he put him there in the Garden of Eden, and he said, you got one thing. You've, you've got, as, as people might say today, you have one job. Don't blow it. Don't mess it up. That one job is don't eat of that one tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You got all this other fruit out here that you can eat. You got all these other, other good things that you can enjoy that, that are for you. But I want you to understand that woman, Eve, had not been created yet. We're still in chapter 2. So remember this. Everybody say this with me. Eve didn't hear the command. You got that? The command was to Adam, not to Eve. So God gives Adam this prohibition on eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The rule is don't eat. But God never said to Adam, let me make this clear. God never said to Adam, you can't touch it. He just said, don't eat it. All right? No mention of touching the woman never heard the rule. That is Eve never heard the rule because she wasn't yet created. So when she gets the rule, it makes sense that she got it from the man. So next we come to the creation of the woman, which is Genesis chapter 2, verse number 21. It says, the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. So the second event was the creation of the woman. So God has already given the man the rule. God's created man, placed him in the garden, gave him the rule. Now he creates woman. And then the third event in the timeline is the tempting from the serpent. Genesis chapter 3, verse number 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every, every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig, tree, fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. Everybody say they made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. God's walking in the garden. You get that? And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? All right? So this is now the third event. The first was the creation and placement of Adam. The second was the creation of the woman. The third event in our timeline now is the tempting that she got from the serpent. And this is the first point that I want to make to you, and I'm going to be giving you several points, and uh, again, to, to lay the, the groundwork for what I'm talking about here today. 
the first point is this, that the devil went after the weak link. Now, I do not say this in a, and do not mean for it to be in a sexist way when I say that. I'm not at all saying that women are inferior to men. But by weak link, what I mean is she was not the one who received the instruction from God. Are you still with me on that? She was not the one that God gave the command to. She got it secondhand from Adam. So the devil knew that it would be easier to convince the woman because she had in all likelihood not heard directly from God herself. And when we don't hear from God ourselves, it's easier for us to dismiss the words of somebody who has heard from God. Satan knew that it would be harder to convince Adam because Adam had spoken directly to God. Satan knew it would be harder to convince Adam because, or easier to convince Eve because she had only heard through Adam. And what this illustrates to me today is the importance of, of having our own personal relationship with God. Because if all you know of God is what you hear from a preacher or what you hear from a teacher or what you hear from your parents or what you hear from your grandmother or your grandfather, then you are more easily going to be deceived. But if you have a relationship with God yourself and if you have heard from the Lord yourself and if you have talked to God yourself, then you are in a better position of being prepared when the tempter comes. I'm not saying at all that you shouldn't listen to what the, the, the elders and the leaders and the authorities that God has placed in your life. I, you, I'm not at all telling you you shouldn't do that. But what I'm trying to tell you is you need to study to show thyself proved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You need to know for yourself what the book says. You need to be on your knees for yourself getting a relationship with God. When I was when I was growing up, I, I I heard everything that mom and dad said. But I'll be honest with you: when I got to a, a certain age, a lot of the things were challenged, and it put me in a place where I had to find a place of prayer and repentance for myself, and I had to find a place where I could build a relationship with God on my own, and I had to hear from the throne of grace on my own and for myself, because what I got from my mother and father as thankful as I am for it today it was not good enough by itself you've got to have your own relationship with God amen and so Satan attacks the weak link because he knows that she only knew God through Adam and so that brings me to the second point now some of you you may disagree with this I'm not going to quibble with you over it I'm just telling you it's a possibility 
It's a possibility. As I looked at this, and never thought about it before. But the second point is Adam may not have even known what he was eating. Let me tell you why I say that. Let me tell you why I say that. I know the Bible says that she gave it to the man who was with her, but with her could mean a lot of things. It could mean he was with her in the garden. Doesn't necessarily mean he was standing there with her when she plucked it off the tree. We don't know that. We don't know that beyond a certainty. And so I, I can see a situation where maybe she handed him a random fruit or he thought it was a random fruit out of many. There were a lot of fruits in the garden. He may not have realized that it was from the tree. But this is no excuse because, as I say, ignorance of the law is no excuse. He should have known God's rule was clear. And regardless of whether he knew or not, it's irrelevant because he was careless. And if he did not know what it was he should have said I want to know what that is before I put it in my mouth I didn't know where it came from I didn't know what tree you got it off of go show it to me point it out to me but regardless at best he could be accused of being careless and then that brings me to the third point and this is what I really want to focus on someone told Eve to not even touch the tree I said, I'm going to do a little teaching today. Is that okay? Now, listen to me. I have always heard this portrayed negatively. I've heard people say, well, Eve changed what God said because God said don't eat it. God didn't say don't touch it. But the more I think about this, the more I think that there's a positive side to this because I believe that Eve heard everything that she knew about the tree I believe she heard it secondhand from Adam. And I believe in my heart that Adam took what God said. And again, this is not to absolve him of responsibility because he was guilty. But I believe with all of my heart that Adam took the rule that God had given him and said to Eve, now, hun, that tree over there, we're not going to eat. But I can imagine, I can see a scenario where he said, we're not going to get close to it. We're not going to touch it. We're not going to have anything to do with it. I don't want to get near it. I don't want to touch it. Amen. I think that Adam told her not to touch it for this reason. Because you can't eat what you don't first touch. And if you really want to get down to the nitty-gritty, and this is where some of the teaching comes in right now, you could argue that or say that this was the first standard in the Bible because Adam said, I know that God didn't say we couldn't touch it, but we're going to not even touch it because we can't eat what we don't touch. Some of you may, may have never heard that, that word standards used as, as we sometimes use it in the Pentecostal movement. And it is a, let me just say this, it is a term that has been abused by both sides. There are, there are people today, and I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not a clothesline preacher and I'm not going to preach clothesline today. That's not what this is all about. But I, I, I've got to lay this this foundation and this groundwork. There are people that say, you hear both sides. You hear sometimes you hear people who say, well, God doesn't care what we look like, what we dress like. 
And when they ask me, does God care, I say, of course he does. And they say, well, how can you say that? I said, well, because the Bible says that Adam and Eve were naked and they put aprons on. And the Bible said that Adam, or that God rather, was not satisfied with the aprons and he put coats on them. Because an apron didn't cover them up enough. And so God, God would have, if God didn't care about things like modesty, God would have let them stay the way they were. But he didn't let them stay the way they were. And when we talk about standards, what we're talking about are practical application. This is the way I define it. Practical application of biblical principles. An example is modesty, which we were just talking about. The Bible commands us to be modest. Over and over again, it commands us to be modest. The problem is the Bible doesn't detail for us what modest is. It just says be modest. And so sometimes we have standards where we say this is the way we're going to do it in an effort to make sure that we're being modest. Do you understand that? Are you all still with me? We might say, for example, when it comes to the, the ladies that are, that are part of our, the, the praise team and helping with the praise and worship, we might say that we want you to, you to make sure that your dresses come down and cover your knees. Why? Because we want to make sure you're modest. There is no verse of Scripture that says, Thou shalt cover thy knees. But the Bible does say that we're supposed to be modest. And so what we're doing is we're trying, I'm saying all that to say this, we're trying to draw a line that people can follow that will give them guidance and direction as to where, what's a good safe point. Do you understand what I'm saying? And then there, there's, there's people on both sides, though, that abuse that because there's some who go to the other extreme. You know, the one side, there are those who say, well, we want to do our best to make sure that we're modest. Then you got the other side that they want to make a God out of everything having to do with the way you dress. And it becomes an idol to them. And that's all they care about. I've had situations before in my years of pastor where I've had people come into church that were strung out on crack cocaine. And I'd have some self-righteous brother or sister in the church who could care less about getting them off the cocaine. They just want to make sure they were dressed modestly. And I'm saying, we've got to be able to, to, you know, find a balance there and say, hey, we're not going to make a God out of this, but we still want to live good and godly and holy and righteously in this present world. Is that okay? And so, so we have, we come up with standards. Not, we're not making gods out of it, not in this church. We're not making a God out of the standard. But we're saying that this is what, this is the mark that we want to measure up to. This is the mark, this is the line that we want to draw. This is, this is where, where we want to make sure that we've got some clear delineation here. Lines are especially helpful for new converts. Can you say amen? Because they may not already have that personal relationship that we talked about a little bit earlier. And what a line does is a line gives them a place to work from. It gives them some guidance. Why is that line where it is? Because through the years, the elders have found that it is a safe place. It is a safe place. And the elders are saying, if you don't touch it, you can't eat it. And some people want to focus on the touching part 
And they want to say, well, God didn't say I couldn't touch it. No, he didn't. And if you touch it, you might not die. But if we draw the line and say, don't touch it, we know you're not going to die. Do you understand what I'm saying? And in spite of the abuses on both sides, you need some lines. I need some lines. We all need some lines, some fences, some gates, some barriers in our lives. That's one of the things that's wrong with children and young people today. They got no guidelines. They got no, they got no fences. That's why they, they're, they're, we're dealing with, look, I don't say this to be, I don't say this to be disrespectful or mean or anything. I'm, I'm preaching from the bottom of my heart. But I believe with all of my heart that's one of the reasons why we have got children that are so wild out of their heads that they'll go into schools and just blow people up with guns left and right. There were more guns out there when I was a kid than there are today. But yet there weren't kids running around killing each other like there are today. Something has gotten broken in the last few years. Mm. Y'all still with me? Proverbs says, remove not the ancient landmark which thy fathers have set. In other words, your fathers drew a line. Your father set a landmark. Your father said, this is where you want to, to, to watch. This is where you want to be careful. I, I've told this story before, but some of you have never heard of it. How many of you have ever been to Stone Mountain? Raise your hand. How many of you have ever been on top of Stone Mountain, all the way to the top? Amen. Let me tell you a little bit about Stone Mountain. How many of you, how many of you that have ever been to Stone Mountain, the top of Stone Mountain, have ever seen the fences around the top where you're not, where there are big warning signs, right? Because I think the, the drop off there at the, at the cliff is about 600 feet, something like that. Every few years, hear me now, every few years, somebody dies on Stone Mountain. And every few years, the story is the same. Usually it's a teenager, not always, but usually it's a teenager who got cute who decided they were going to climb over the fence for a selfie or something and decided that they were going to push their luck and go out a little bit further and ended up slipping on the wet, the wet uh, 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 ground, the wet uh, rock, because it's a rock face, and ended up falling off the edge to their death. People go there and flirt with danger all the time. They will cross the fence and they'll take selfies. They'll cross the fence. They'll do things. Most of them don't die. Thank God. The fence is not there to say if you cross this fence, if you touch this fence, you're going to drop dead. That's not what the fence is there for. What the fence is there for is the fence says this is where the safe place ends. If you go past this fence, you might survive. But there's also a good chance that you're going to fall to your death. But if you stay on this side of the fence, you are guaranteed that you're not going to fall off the mountain. And so you need some lines in your life that say, hey, if I, as long as I stay on this side of the fence, I'll be all right. Oh, hallelujah. A lot of times pastors get criticized when they have standards they get criticized they're called legalistic 
That's a word, that's a slur that a lot of people use. But what's really happening is, is the pastor's not trying to be legalistic or ugly or mean or anything. What he's trying to do is he's trying to put up a fence. And he's trying to say, listen, I'm not telling you that if you go over this fence, you're going to die and go to hell on the spot. But what I am telling you is I know from experience, as long as you stay on this side of the fence, you'll be okay. Praise God. And so it's very probable, possible that Adam gave that standard to Eve and he said, don't touch it. Don't even touch it. I know God said don't eat it, but I'm telling you not to even touch it. Stay away from it. Don't touch it. Don't dabble with it. Don't play with it. I know people that, that and I know churches, that, and, and I listen, I'm not, I'm not going to stand up here and criticize them one bit. I know churches that have a standard where you can't have a television. They don't want you to have a television. And, and people who don't understand the importance of offense will miss the reasoning behind that. And what they're saying is they're not saying if you have a television, you're going automatically going to go to hell. My grandmother had a television. God bless her. She loved Lawrence Welk in the news. But I know a lot of people. I know a lot of people who'd be better off not having internet. You hear what I'm saying? I know a lot of people would be better off not having internet. I know a lot of people would be better off not having a television because you can't eat what you don't touch. Praise God. You can touch some things that won't kill you, but you are one step closer to death when you do. You know, the Bible says a lot about touching unclean things. I was taught as a kid not to touch dead animals. Matter of fact, it was just, it was just a, a given. When we were walking through the woods and we came across a dead squirrel, you know, mom and dad were just like, ew, that's nasty, don't touch that. It didn't matter how fresh it was, except the one time we hit a quail on the way to grandma's house, driving down the highway, and dad hit a quail and stopped the car and got out and took it to grandmother's house so we'd have quail for dinner. I remember that. He ain't going to fib to you and tell you that he didn't do it because I remember it. But my, my point is this. What they were saying is not all dead animals carry disease. But what they were saying is some of them do. Some of them have mites. Some of them have rabies. You don't know what that animal's got. And if you don't touch it, you can't pick it up. The Bible says abstain from all appearance of evil. Neither give place to the devil. Don't give him an opportunity to work in your life. If you find that something is becoming a stumbling block or a hindrance to you and your walk with God, you need to say, you know what? I'm going to stay away from it. I'm not going to touch it. If this person is a stumbling block or a hindrance in your life, you need to be able to say, I'm going to stay away from them because I'm not going to let them drag me down. Now y'all really got quiet then all of a sudden. Don't make me feel nervous now. Listen, moving beyond that line, that fence that God and, and the, the spiritual leaders in your life have placed in your life as a protection for you is dabbling in rebellion. It's a rebellious spirit that causes young people to climb over the fence at Stone Mountain. 
They know it's wrong. They know it's dangerous. That's why they do it. It is that spirit of rebellion, and it is so strong. And when you go over the line, you're opening up a door in your mind to a spirit of rebellion. I'm going to tell you this, folks. There are too many people who think that they can control spirits when they have opened them up and allowed them into their living room. You cannot control the spirits that you allow into your living room. You need to say, listen, I'm not going to take any chances. It may not affect me, but I don't want it to affect my husband. I don't want it to affect my wife. I don't want it to affect my children. I'm not going to let that spirit in my home. It's no wonder that so many times children develop the same spirit of rebellion that their parents have shown for years. Because when you open up the door of your house in your living room and you say, well, this is just me. I'm just, you know, I'm the one who's rebelling. I don't, I'm not really, it hasn't got anything to do with my husband or with my wife or with my children. No, what you've done is you've invited a spirit into your living room. Amen. 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 And I'll tell you this. I heard somebody say this the other day. In a message, and it was it was good. Bears repeating, and he said, "The same spirit that will rationalize when your pastor tries to warn you of something, or spiritual leaders in your life try to warn you of something, and the and the pastor says it's best if you don't touch it." And that spirit that comes along that says, yeah, but God never said, you know, show me in the Bible where it says, thou shalt not touch it. And they say, that spirit that will rationalize that will one day, if, and I believe the church is going to be gone before this takes place, but if you're still here after the rapture, that same spirit will one day rationalize in your own mind and say, he didn't really mean what he said when he talked about the mark of the beast. That old fable, old-fashioned old stuff, old crazy stuff. That's just a bunch of crazy, nutcase old prophets preaching. Bunch of weirdos. That same spirit will rationalize it. If you don't touch it, you can't eat it. Bible tells a story. I'm hurrying. I'm almost done here. Bible tells a story of one of David's mighty men, a man by the name of Shammah. In Second Samuel chapter 23, here's what it said he did. He said, after him was Shammah, the son of Agi, the Hararite. And the Philistines were gathered together into a troop where there was a piece of ground full of lentils or beans, in other words. And the people fled from the Philistines, but he stood in the midst of the ground and defended it and slew the Philistines, and the Lord wrought a great victory. In other words, Shammah was willing to fight over a hill of beans. And somebody said, it ain't worth a hill of beans. But Shammah was willing to fight over a hill of beans. And here's why he fought over a hill of beans. Because he knew it's just a hill of beans today. But if I let the Philistines have my hill of beans today, tomorrow it'll be my cornfield. And next week, next week, it'll be my cattle. And the week after that, it'll be my house. And the week after that, it'll be my wife and my children. 
So what Shammah was saying is, you know what? I might as well draw a line in the sand and fight the battle right here, right now. Because if they can't take the hill of beans, they can't take my cornfield. And if they can't take my hill of beans, they can't take my house. And if they can't take my hill of beans, they can't take my wife and my children. And so sometimes people will look at you and say, oh, you're drawing a line in the sand. You're just crazy. Just, you know, the devil wants you to just go stretch it just a little bit farther and just relax just a little bit more and just let go just a little bit more. And you need to say, no, it might be just a hill of beans to you, but it's my life to me. And I'm not going to surrender any of it because what I surrender today is put him one step closer tomorrow. Hallelujah. Mm. My, my. Sometimes you just got to draw a line in the sand and say, this is where I'm going to make my stand. No, no, no backing up. No backing up. And the last point, and I'm going to close with this. I gave you three already. The last point is God's presence in your life is no guarantee that all is well. Because the word said that Adam and Eve were in the garden and they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And God, not only could they still hear his voice, Dad, but he was talking directly to them. And if they were like a lot of people today, they would have said, Pastor, I hear God's voice. You might hear his voice. And he might be saying to you, what have you done? And just because his presence is there, just and this is a this is one of the most common yet serious mistakes that people in the church make is they mis- they have the mistaken belief that God's presence in their life is a guarantee that he is pleased with everything that you're doing. The Bible says that the gifts and callings of God, and this is something I have to, I have to constantly check because the Bible says the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. Do you hear me? Now, I believe that means what it says. I've had, I've had people tell me before, that, that preachers tell me, they didn't really agree with that. Well, I'm sorry. That's what the Word said. The gifts and callings of God are without repentance. Meaning, God does not give those gifts and then take them away. He doesn't call somebody. He doesn't call somebody and then suddenly decide... You're not called anymore. Now, I've had people argue that with me before. And I say, show me an example of where God called somebody. And sometimes people will, will, will talk about Saul. And I have to remind them, King Saul, I'm talking about in the Old Testament. I have to remind them, King Saul was king until the day he died. As a matter of fact, David said when, when people bragged about killing Saul, David said, how was it you were not Afraid to touch God's anointed. He's backslidden, but yet he's God's anointed. He's backslidden, but he wears the crown because God put the crown on his head. 
so I say, show me where. And somebody said, well, what, you know, Aaron took the, the children of Israel up. You know, when, when Moses went up on the mountain, Aaron took the children of Israel, and they, they, they danced around a golden calf naked. And when Moses came back down off the mountain, guess who was still high priest? Aaron. You know when Aaron stopped being the high priest? When they laid his body in a grave. He was high priest until the day he died because he was called by God. And I'm not, and, and the problem, the danger in all of that is that I have known people. I have, we've all, I've heard gospel music singers sing under the anointing and it was so beautiful and it was so precious and it could move you to tears. And yet they were living a life of sin off of the, off of the stage. Does that mean that God was not in it? No, it just means that God gifted them with something that he didn't take away. Now I believe you can affect the level of your anointing by your consecration. Absolutely. But I've heard too many people that have sang songs and, and it was beautiful and the Holy Ghost moved and yet I've, we've had people in this church, people that were backslidden, come and visit this church and get behind a keyboard. Am I telling the truth, Sister Amanda? Get behind the keyboard and start playing and singing and you feel the Holy Ghost fill the room. And they were backslidden and knew they were backslidden. But the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. And so the problem is, is that sometimes when a person experiences that and they say, I know I'm not living like I'm supposed to. But I see that people are being blessed by my music. I see that people are being blessed by my singing. I, I hear God's voice. I feel the presence of the Lord. So maybe there's nothing else I need to do. And God is saying, no, 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 that's not how it works. Just because you hear me and just because you feel me doesn't mean you're all right. And as, as, a, as a preacher, I have to watch that because just because I can stand up here and preach and feel the anointing of God, I have to remind myself his anointing is not the same as his approval. And so some of you that the Lord's talking to today, I'm closing with this. He's talking to you because you've allowed some things into your life that ought not to be there. Maybe some people in your life. I don't know. And he's trying to get your attention. And he's trying to reach for you. And if you're not careful, you'll say, but I have felt his presence. I've heard his voice. And the Lord says, yes, I love you enough that I'm here trying to talk to you and trying to reach you. Would you stand with me today? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lift your hands and your voices right now. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 How many of you want to be purged? How many of you want to be cleansed? How many of you want to be washed clean by the power of the Holy Ghost? 
Amen. The Bible says, lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Amen. How many of you know that you need to lay aside some things in your life that are hindrances? Maybe they're weights. Maybe they're not things that the Lord said you couldn't touch. But you know that by touching them, you're one step closer to eating something that you ought not to eat. Some of you may have some relationships going on right now with somebody on Facebook or through social media, and you know that you're dabbling with fire, and you haven't crossed the line yet, but you're inching up to that fence on the edge of Stone Mountain, and you're saying, maybe I can climb over the fence and still get back on this side. You're playing a dangerous game. You're playing a dangerous game, a dangerous game, and you need to hear the voice of the Holy Ghost today. Hallelujah. Jesus, Jesus. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I wonder how many could honestly say with nobody looking around, Pastor, there are things in my life that I need to lay aside that God has dealt with me about today in this message. Would you raise your hand? There are some things that I need to surrender to the Lord. Hallelujah. I want to be clean. I want to be right. I want to be holy. Hallelujah. Is there anybody that wants to come to this altar today? Anybody? Anybody that wants to come to this altar today? Now is your chance. In a moment, we're going to call everybody up here. But I wonder if there's anybody that wants to take a walk of faith. Hallelujah. 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 Come on, the Lord's dealing with some people today. The Lord's dealing with some people today. The Lord's dealing with some people today. Here's my heart. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. I wonder if we could get everybody to come, everybody that would join us. If you've got the Holy Ghost and you want to pray with somebody, please do. Amen. Come on, let's gather around. We've got people who need a touch. We've got people who need who need a, a healing in their spirit. We need some folks to help pray for these folks up here at the altar. Hallelujah. I am healed. I am free. Here's my heart, Lord. Here's my heart, Lord. Here's my what is true here's my heart Lord here's my heart Lord here's come on let's pray with one another hallelujah speak what is true speak what yes. is true I am found I am my heart, Lord. 
equal what is true. Here's my heart, Lord. Here's my heart, Lord. Here's my heart, Lord. Here's my heart, Lord. Speak what is true. the Holy Ghost here today. Here's my heart, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Speak what is true. Oh, yes. Speak what is true. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus. 
Jesus, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. your hands to him and tell him I need thee oh I need thee I need thee oh bless me my life in my darkest times no matter what was going on no matter how far I drifted from God that song always was one that just kind of stuck with me every hour I need thee does anybody need him today oh bless me my Savior, I come to Thee. One more time, I need Thee. Hallelujah. I, 
I tell you what I feel in the Holy Ghost. Where's Avery at? Avery? Avery? Riley and Ryder? Where's Riley and Ryder? Okay. Hey, y'all come on up here if y'all would. I want all of our our young young folks that will, all the young folks, I don't know, I just feel a, a need to pray for them. You know, these young folks are battling things that, that that we didn't we didn't have to battle when I was in high school, when I was in school. And so I want some of our adults to just gather around behind them, if you would, some of our elders. Amen. And um, I want you to help me pray for these young folks today. Amen. How many of you, how many of you know that these young people, that they're, the enemy wants them. As, as Jesus told Peter, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But what we're going to do is we're going to pray a, a fence a shelter, a fence of protection around them right now. A lot of them, they, they're still young in their, in their relationship with God and there are things that maybe they don't understand and things that they don't know. But you know what? We serve a God that is able to put up that hedge. Hallelujah. He's able to put up that fence. He's able to put up that barrier. Let's pray for them right now in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Touch these young folks, God. Touch them, Lord. Lord, we pray, God, you'd put a shelter. We pray, God, you'd put a fence around them. We pray, God, that you would put a hedge around about them. Come on, that's it, saints. Pray for them right now. Hallelujah. The more I find. The more I love you, I want to sit at your feet, drink from the cup in your hand, lay back against you and breathe, feel your heart beat. This love is so deep, hallelujah, it's more than I can stand. I melt in your peace. It's overwhelming. The more I seek you. Yes, hallelujah. The The more more I find you. Yes, the more I find you. Well, the more I love you, hallelujah. I want to sit at your feet, drink from the cup in your hand, lay back against you and breathe and feel your 